you know, I would describe what we've seen so far in Acts. Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2 is kind of like the honeymoon period of, of the church. You know what I mean by that? It's like anybody that's married, you know what I mean? It's like there's a, there's a time at the beginning of the marriage where it's like everything is great. Even the things that are annoying, you know, they're cute, right? And you're like, oh, it's so endearing about him or her. And that's the honeymoon period. Now, and sometimes maybe the honeymoon period actually ends within the honeymoon period, which is, I think, kind of what happened with Christy and I. Um, but you know what I mean? It's like there's this time where it's like nothing go, can go wrong. It's like you feel like you can take on the world. Like nothing bad is ever going to happen. And it's just so rosy, perfect, everything. That's Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2 for the early church. Acts chapter 3, like things start to happen. Things start to get hard. They start to face some difficulties. You know, just thinking back to, to Chris and I's marriage, we actually, the early parts of our marriage, we actually had a fight one time about the proper way to load a dishwasher. I don't know if, if, if you guys have ever had that fight or not, but um, there is a right way, and it's a pretty big deal, right? So uh, we fought over that, and, um, but they're, gonna, they're not going to have infighting just yet. This is actually some opposition that's going to come from the outside. It's what's happening. And, and, and we're, we're, you know, I've been, we're, our plan is to go through the first half of Acts and, and hit highlights. We're not going to go over everything. We're, we're actually going to be in chapter 4, looking uh, at, starting at verse 23. But just to catch us up to that point, I just want to give you a little bit of the background of what happens. You remember at the end of the chapter 2, it gave us an amazing picture of this community that's forming, uh, this fellowship of believers uh, verse 47 of chapter 2 says, they're praising God and having favor with all people. Okay, but pretty soon, it's not going to be all people anymore because things are going to start to get hard. Uh, starting at chapter 3, it says that Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So there was these prayer services at the temple that the church was still participating in and the Jewish uh, traditions that were there. Um, and he has this encounter with this lame guy, this, this guy, that, a beggar, that for 40 years, it says the end of chapter 3, that for 40 years, or I think it's in chapter 4, 40 years he's been begging. Everybody recognizes this guy. They know who he is. And, and, and Peter and John lock eyes with him, and they say, we don't have any silver or gold, which is what you want, but what I have, I'm going to give you. Stand up and walk. And this guy stands up, and then he's just leaping and dancing, and it's just like, everybody's like, whoa. Everybody knew for a fact this guy, this guy had spent his entire life. I mean, if you were 40 years old, I mean, that's, like an, that's a really old person in those days. So most people, like, saw this guy, and it's like, I've known that guy for my entire life, and that's where he always sat. Now he is standing up and dancing. It's like, whoa, what in the world? And then verse 11 of chapter 3 once again, it's like God does this amazing thing, and then gathers a crowd, and once again, Peter's like, well, okay, here we go. Time to give the gospel. So Peter gives this message, and it goes through, and, 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 and there is so much rich and incredible truth, and one of the things I'll just highlight in his message is that he is constantly referencing back to the Old Testament, to prophets and prophecies and Moses and other things, which to me is so cool because it's another thing that just gives us evidence about the consistency of the message of the Bible. You know, from cover to cover, there's a consistency. Even though it was written over, I think, 1,500, 2,000-year period with 40-some different authors, there is consistency in the message of this thing. He's, he's not telling them something that is completely a U-turn from what God's already told them. He's like, guys, here's a little bit more of the message. And if you want to check it out, go check out Moses. Go check out the prophets, Right? Now, chapter 4, though, it says, And as they were speaking to the people, 
the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000 people. So more people are responding. And this is kind of crazy because, like, these guys are being led off in cuffs. And, like, people are coming forward to receive Christ, like, at the same time. It's like, what an incredible, crazy thing. But here's now some oppositions hitting them. Because you remember in chapter 2, God did this amazing thing at their house. And the city of Jerusalem came to them. Now they, in a sense, they've kind of gone into enemy territory in, in a way. You know, it's like they've, they've gone into the temple, and now they're beginning to ruffle the feathers of, this, of the status quo and the powers that be who are like, we don't want Jesus. We don't want that teaching. That's not true. So they try to squash it. So they confront them. They arrest them. Uh, they bring them before them. Um, you know, they, but they had this lame guy that was healed. It's like we can't really deny that that happened. Everybody knew who he was. And then if you jump down to verse 18, it says, so they called them. So in other words, the the leadership called Peter and John to them, and they charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go. So Basically, Peter and John say, look, you can tell us not to do this, but God's told us to share this message. We're on this mission, and and we have to obey what God's telling us, not what you're telling us to do. And and then they let them go after further threatening them. So it's like they're, they're leaning the muscle on them, but they don't necessarily have the power to get them just yet because of the crowds being behind them in that moment. And then we get to verse 23, and it says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And at this point, they are about to go into a prayer service. Essentially, they are gathering together in response to what just happened to have a prayer service. And, and one thing I want to point out here before we dig into this is that this is actually the first and only time in all of Acts where we actually get the content of a prayer. So in other words, there's, there's lots of times where it says they prayed. Like we've already seen that. They've prayed after Jesus ascended. They prayed before the Holy Spirit came. It says they were gathering together. Part of their fellowship was to pray, right? But this is actually the one and only time where we actually get to look into the content. Like, what did they pray? And that's the thing that I really wanted to highlight here because what Jesus is doing is building in them a boldness, which is just incredible. If you guys remember, back in the Gospels, Jesus actually taught his disciples how to pray. There's two instances where the disciples said, teach us how to pray. And he gave them what, what, what is known as the Lord's Prayer. And he said, when you pray, pray like this. He was teaching them, this is how I want you to pray. Now, um, I uh, did an Amazon search for prayer books. Like if you just search books, not all of Amazon, just books, and you just search something that has in the title prayer, there's over 30,000 results on Amazon.com alone for books with a title that includes prayer. There is a lot of content out there relative to prayer. Now, 
I mean, you guys have probably seen some of those books. I mean, there's lots of prayer journals and tools. You know, there's, there's like the Axe model and the, the CATS model and the TAX model. And there's just all these different systems that, that have been developed before. I remember a number of years ago, the, the prayer Jabez movement that went around for a while. It's like, here's a way, this is a method and how to pray. Um, you know, there's, there's prayer healing books. There's transformational prayer books. There's just all kinds of stuff out there. Some of it's good, some of it's bad. But I think that the, the way we judge is this a good and helpful resource? Does it follow the model that Jesus laid out for us? Because Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Here's how you should pray, right? And, and I think it would be helpful for us to go back and look at that model and then come back to this and see how did they pray. Did they pray the way that Jesus taught them to pray? That's, I mean, to me, it's, it's really amazing to see when we look at that. And, you know, one of the things that, that God has done in my life over the last few years and I am light years from where I should be, is to grow me in my prayer. Um, it's something that God has been working on and convicting me in. I would not call myself a man of prayer. I would not say that I am naturally oriented towards that. I think some people are. I'm not. Um, but it's something that God's been growing in me. And I, I want to tell you that I think that when we pray in the model that Jesus has laid out here, it is spiritually powerful. Like when we, we, you know, in other words, Jesus said, here's how you should pray. Let's, let's pray that way. And I've found that it is just incredibly transformational. And there's a, uh, a guy named Daniel Henderson who is a pastor, and he, he's uh, read a, led an organization called Strategic Renewal, which is all about helping churches and pastors to be better and more equipped at prayer. And um, as part of our relationship with the great uh, Commission Collective, they, they've helped us and spoken into what we've done and other pastors. And so some of what I'm going to teach you, I, I, I've gotten from him. And he summarized Jesus's model with four R's. Okay, so if you're taking notes, you get, get ready for four R's. So you guys probably all know the, the Lord's Prayer, right? I mean, it's like even non-Christians, anybody that's been around the church for long knows the Lord's Prayer and has it memorized. And you probably have it memorized in the King James Version like me, right? So how does it start? It says, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And just start, stop right there, because that's the first R, which is reverence. His model is you start with reverence with who God is. You know, and, and okay, speaking of my own prayer life, a lot of times, a lot of times, my prayer is oriented on what I need. You know, it's... <clears throat> Help me with this. Give me uh, wisdom in this or knowledge here or courage or bravery in this or um, help me financially in this way or with my health or, you know, Aunt Susie's cancer or all those kinds of things which are good things that's not necessarily bad, you know, or even help Chrissy to finally load the dishwasher in the right way. You know, it's like that kind of stuff, right? It's, it's horizontal kinds of things. But I think that what Jesus is teaching us here in this reverence is that we need to seek his face before we seek his hands. Who he is before what he can do for us. You know, it's, it's worship. It's calling attention, the greatness and the grandness of who he is. You're our father. You are in heaven. Your name is holy. And the second R... What's the next part? He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this, this is response. So we've just 
reviewed in our prayer and in our mind, you know, using God's word, how he reveals who he is to us, to revere him, you can't help but respond to that. It's like, because of who you are, God, because you are God, because you are on your throne, because you are ruling from heaven, Lord, let your rule be true here too. Like, I've got to respond to that truth about who he is. And then what's next? Give us this day our daily bread, right? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debts against, or our, our debtors. And that is our request. That's, that's the request part. You know, we're, we're requesting, God, give us the food that we need. Give us the resources that we need. Whatever it is, and, and, that, and it actually, I think you can categorize all this again in two more R's, which is resources and relationships. Most of the requests, I don't know, I couldn't think of another request that doesn't fit there, but our requests usually fit into we need resources, right? So it's help me with this job. Uh, help so-and-so get a job. Help me with money. Help me, uh, this person needs health, whatever it might be. Or relationships, you know, guidance and wisdom in, you know, work in, you know, love for, mercy, you know, whatever it might be, all relative to relationships. And then finally he said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that's, that's the readiness part. It's like, I have a path I need to go. God is taking me down a road. Lord, equip me with what I need to do what you want me to do in that direction. Um, and then you can also, I've got another graphic here that, that shows it more graphically and spatially. <clears throat> and again, this is from Daniel Henderson, but you can put the four R's in, in these directions. That it's, it's first, it's upward reverence. Downward, it's a response. Inward, my requests. And then outward, the readiness for the direction that, that God has for us. And that, in, in both of the two times that Jesus goes through his prayer, you, it follows that pattern in both cases. And, and, and again, I think it's incredibly powerful. So let's go back to our text here. Do they follow that? Do they pray the way that Jesus said to, to pray? And again, let's be reminded of the context of this. It, it's easy to read these stories and kind of be disconnected from it, you know, and it's kind of just a story. But imagine yourself in this situation and all that you've gone through. And, and, and two of your best guys, Peter and John, just got thrown in jail. I mean, it's the very first time any of them experienced anything like that. And they get threatened by some of the powerful dudes in this neighborhood, you know, in that city, guys that could shut them down without any problem and tell them, you cannot continue on this path. Stop being a witness for Jesus is what they said. But they just experienced Jesus who told them, be my witness. I'm going to make you be a witness. So they're, they're right at that, that point. I mean, just you know, put yourself in those kinds of shoes. I mean, like, like I, I think of somebody like Michelle as like one of our most bold Christians. You know, it's like if, if Michelle were to come in here and say, guys, bad news. I got arrested and thankfully I got out, but we're not allowed to, to meet anymore as a church. The government said they would throw us in jail if we proclaim Jesus. It's like... What if so? I mean, thankfully we don't live in a government in a government or world like that, but some do. But what if we did? What what kind of things would we be feeling? You know, I I think we'd it'd be right to feel some fear. It's like you know I I've got plans. I'm going this direction. I don't know that I can deal with that. You know, what's going to happen to my kids or my family? Um, you might lack some confidence. It's like, do I have the ability to take on that kind of opponent? 
Um, you know, there's all kinds of feelings. I mean, what, what kind of things would you feel in that moment? Think about that. And let's look at the verses here. So they told them about it, verse 24. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said. So this is a, this is a community prayer event they're having. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. I think it's pretty clear that they start with reverence. They start with reverence. It's, it's God's sovereignty. God, you are sovereign. You are Lord. You created everything that exists, all of the sea and all the things that are in it. And then they quote from Psalm 2, which is a royal psalm that the, the Israelites would, would sing every time a new king was appointed. And, the, and that psalm is a reference in looking forward to Jesus, the ultimate king. And one of the things that's amazing about that psalm, because they're calling it for, you know, forward here in attention to what God, who God is. But in that psalm, it actually, God threatens the kings of the world who will come against his anointed. I mean, so, I mean, just think about it. They are making God big right now. They are, they are revering who he is and the power of who he is in direct, absolute direct contrast to the powers of that day. Fundamentally, what do the disciples need right here? Fundamentally, what do they need? Do they need the threat to go away? Or do they need their view of God to get bigger? And that's, that's what's at stake here. Is it, God, take away this threat, or God, you are great and big? And that makes me think, too, it's like, what, what, are, what am I afraid of? Like, what are the things that I fear that, that, that cause cracks in my confidence, you know, and and, and cracks in, in the direction that I think that God has for me to go. You know, if, if you don't feel like you're secure, like, do I have real security? Um, you know, am I anxious about things that are on the horizon or, or around me? Um, or, or maybe it's just control. Like, I, I don't feel like I have full control over what's going on in my life. But a big God leads to big requests. A big God leads to big requests. And, you know, today is Veterans Day. Um, and so, by the way, for anybody that's a veteran here, I just want to thank you for your service and recognize um, what you've done for our country. And today is actually the 100th anniversary of Armistice Day, which was the end of World War I, which is just an incredibly brutal, brutal battle. And you had this trench warfare combined with machinery and technology that just hadn't been seen before. Um, and just some of what I've read, I just can't imagine. I just can't imagine. And, and, but, but put yourself in that trench. And, and over the no man's land are big guns and cannons that are aimed across the field. And you know that at any moment the commanders are going to say, charge. Um, I, I think it's natural to feel some significant fear. 
some significant fear. But I, I think that if God in that situation is small, then what you ask for is relief from the fear. God, free me from this fear. And part of the answer to freeing from fear is run. Go the opposite direction. I can run away from the battlefield and be, eliminate the fear. But I think when God is big, like when I am revering who he is, it doesn't necessarily remove fear, but I think it builds confidence. It builds courage. You know, so it's like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to live to face this enemy like this. I don't know what's going to happen. And again, think about these apostles and these disciples. We know that a lot of them die. Actually, every single one of the, the apostles, besides one, was killed for his faith. We know that in a couple chapters, Stephen is going to get stoned. There's no guarantee of safety in this. But I think when God is big and you're saying, you are sovereign, you are Lord, by your word you created, big God, I think leads to big requests. You know, and I think about two other situations like sharing your faith. You know, I mean, there's been so many times where it's like I see, okay, God made this opportunity and here's an opening and I'm going to share my faith with this person. And you just feel the fear, you know, and, you, and you're, you're like, I don't want to be viewed as a weirdo. Um, I don't want them to have a low view of me. And I, and I think with me, I don't know about you, but I think a lot of that is just, it's just a fear of man. I care more about what they think. But I think that if in those situations I had a bigger view of who God is, that little fear, it's not gone, but that little fear gets little, if that makes sense. And then look at how they, <clears throat> they responded Verse 27 and 28. So again, they are revering who God is. It leads to a natural response that's directly in line with who he is. For truly in this city, they're talking about Jerusalem, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. In other words, this city was full of people that were opponents of Jesus. Both Herod, that's the... Uh, one of the high political leaders from, from Rome, and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They're, it's like God is sovereign and is Lord, and he's Lord. And they continue to respond and worship to like, including what we just witnessed happen with Jesus. This entire city was aligned against him. The powers that be, Pontius Pilate and Herod, all the Gentiles, all the Jews were aligned against Jesus by God's plan. God did that. That was God's plan. So it's like God is sovereign even over people that were enemies of Jesus. You see that response? And then, um, you know, it's, it's, it's totally, it's that, it's that your kingdom come, your will be done type of response. It's a big view of who God is, and it's focusing on his sovereignty. And then what's the request? Verse 29, and now, Lord, look upon their threats. So their threats that they put against them, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. They pray for boldness. That's the request. And I think it's fascinating that this is actually the first mention of this prayer of the word boldness. 
And, and I don't know what your Bible has, but the, right before verse 23, I've got, you know, these headings. And you guys know that those headings are put in there by the editors. They're not God's word. But my heading says, the believers pray for boldness. Well, you've got to go several, I mean, like half the page before you even get to the word boldness. They didn't start off, it's like, hey, guys, this is, we got this huge threat. We need to have a prayer meeting for boldness. And, okay, guys, let's start off by, Jesus, please give us boldness. That's not the first thing they pray. That is their request, but the very first thing they pray is reverence for who God is. And then a natural response to that, and then a natural response out out of that is the request. It's like, think about, again, imagining that that situation of the the GI in in the trench in World War I. It's like, he can't help but be afraid. That's natural and normal. The question is, does he have enough bravery to run out there into the hard place? And in their case, the bravery and the courage and the boldness is rooted not in themselves, but in who God is and what he has done. Super important. Prayer is never, ever about making God align his heart with me. It is always about my heart being aligned with him. God works through prayer in powerful ways, but I think that is one of the most powerful things that he does in your life is is transform who you are. Because when you are faced with that decision or that circumstance, it's just like, I don't know how I can go forward. God, you've said this is the direction you want me to go, but look at all these things right in front of me. The bigger God is, the more it equips you to go in that way. And, the, and these guys are just like, and, 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 and again, it's just so incredible to think what's coming for them, what's coming later, the hardship and the heavy, heavy persecution and martyrs one after another. It's who God is which is motivating that. <clears throat> And in verse 29, we see, um, or no, excuse me, 30. Finally, there are prayer for readiness. This is the prayer for readiness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant. And, and, and this is the lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil part of it. Because remember how I said before, as they were going out and boldly proclaimed the gospel, God through the Holy Spirit was, was being a witness to them to tell the people this is legit. You know, just like he did with this lame beggar. He healed this guy so that people would listen to what Peter and John said. That's God working to prepare and, and, and do. And they're, they're saying, God, continue to do that uh, in your, to, to affirm your name and perform these powers through your Holy Spirit and through Jesus. It's God, do what you do, and only you can do. And in verse 31, we see how God, uh, the, the, the final conclusion to that. In, in verse, yeah, so verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I mean, this is just absolutely incredible. I mean, it's like the presence of God just moves on them. The place was shaken. I mean, it's like that was God's answer to their prayer, and they continued to preach the gospel, it says, 
with boldness. I, I think that is the incredible power of prayer when we pray the way Jesus said to pray. Pray this way. He moved in them. And again, think back to what I said before about the power of God is not something that we just kind of can conjure up or just go access when we want to do whatever we want with. God is on a mission. He is working in a specific direction, and we join him and participate in that. God was planting and building his church. That's what he's doing right here through all of Acts. And they're just lining themselves with it and joining him and being a part of what they're doing. Not what they want to do, what God wants to do. And through prayer, he's aligning their heart with them. And the other thing, too, that I think is so cool here is that how, how this kind of prayer aligns with this idea of a vertical church model we're talking about here, where we don't want a church that's designed for people. We want a church that's designed for the glory of God. It's this idea that when we encounter who God is, it changes who we are. You know, in other words, whatever the circumstance that you're in, the more you're encountering who God is, it transforms all those things horizontally, even if he doesn't necessarily change it. He doesn't take away the hardship that they're going to face. In fact, they're going to face some really hard things. But he builds in them a courage and a boldness that's rooted in who he is. Because, why? He's sovereign Lord. What did, what did God do through Herod and Pontius Pilate and all the people of this city? God predestined all that. He designed that. He made it happen. Why do I have to fear anything that's in front of me, they're saying. So it's, it's almost like the, the opposition is almost, it doesn't exist relative to who God is. Right? You see that? Absolutely incredible. And, and, and think about, you know, again, they focus here on God's sovereignty, but there's so many other things about who God is, right? So in your prayers, you know, take, take a part of Scripture, and whatever you're reading in that time, and what are the things that it's revealing and telling you about who God is? And revere Him for those things. It might be His loving kindness or his patience, or his creativity, or his power, or his majesty, or his glory, or his wisdom. I mean, there's so many things about who God is. Revere who he is, and it causes a response. I'm going to respond to that. And then I'm going to bring, him his, bring the request to him in line with that. Like, how does my request actually fit in with who God is and how I'm responding to him? And then how does that word inspire me to be ready to go with whatever direction that God might have me to go? And and I want us tonight, because the disciples here focus on God's sovereignty, I'd like for us to focus on God's sovereignty tonight. As we close out, as we go into the Lord's Supper, to really worship him in prayer in our hearts for his lordship. God, you made it all. Everything that exists has its being because of you. The kings, the rulers of this day, the powers that be, the laws, you're over all of those things. The circumstance that you've put me in, God, you're sovereign over that. Like, how does that change the response? You know, thinking about, you know, issues like that we all wrestle with, like, you know, 
confidence to go in the direction that God has us to go, or, or anxiety about a, a circumstance or something that's happening that's maybe a little bit out of our control. I think that all of those things, we don't want God to just take care of those. I think what we want is to build, make God bigger. And it not, not, it's really not us making him bigger. It's, it's us actually seeing him for what he really is, right? And then as that view grows, all those things get smaller. They don't necessarily get fixed. They don't necessarily change. But I can run into battle. Because again, like what I was saying before, I think that, that World War I uh, army guy, the veteran who's facing this incredible barrage of lead flying across the, the field, it's like the logical thing to do if you don't want to have fear is to get out of there. Right? But that's not his duty. That's not courage. That's not the right thing to do. The right thing to do is to follow the commands and run into the fire. And I think it's true in our lives exactly the same, only we have a commander that makes no mistakes, (laughs) uh, that knows exactly what's happening and has complete sovereignty even over the person that's pulling the trigger on the other side of the field. That's the God that we serve. So let me, let me go ahead and close this out here in prayer. And then after that, we'll go to the, to the Lord's Supper time. Father, Lord, you are sovereign Lord. You made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in the earth and on the earth and in the sea, and in the sky. Lord, your creation is absolutely incredible. Lord, and by the Holy Spirit, through your, our father David, you wrote Psalm 2, and you gave a very clear warning to any kings and any powers that would come against your anointed. That is the kind of power that you have, Lord. You are sovereign, God, even over our circumstances, Lord, to our situations, so many things that are in our lives because of decisions that we've made, but there's also so many things that that we have no say over. We have zero say over. You are completely sovereign over it, Father. And you are even sovereign over all the hard things and the bad things that happened. As the, the example they gave us here with Herod and Pontius Pilate and the people of Jerusalem. You are over all of those things. Lord, build in us a high view of who you are. Lord, I pray that you would transform in us um, our prayer lives. Lord, make us a church of prayer. Lord, a, a church that, that is revering you, God, with the, with the first words of out, out of our mouth every day, Lord. Lord, I pray that, that we would be um, uh, reading your word and, and gleaning from it uh, truths about who you are, Lord, and taking those truths back to you to revere you and to, to hold you up, Lord, because you are perfect and you are good and you are loving and you are kind. Lord, you, you give us hope. You give us purpose. Lord, you give us a family, you, you give us identity, you give us healing, you renew us, you heal our minds. Lord, you promise a future with no pain and no sorrow. Lord, you promise to even one day to eliminate death. That's who you are, God. Lord, when we glory in you, and we, we, we just give you all the praise, the honor, and the majesty. Lord, build in us more and more of who you are. 
Lord, so that our lives and our thought life and what we say to our family and spouses and friends, Lord, is just, just revering you, God. Helping one another to grow in that, Lord. To have a bigger and bigger view of who you are. Because you are master and you are Lord. And you are savior. And Jesus is our big brother. who laid himself down on our behalf. You love us so much, God. Help us to love you back. We give this all to you in Jesus' name. Amen.